Morning, it's 11 minutes before 7 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, December 13th, 2023. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. When the Sitka Assembly met last night, it greenlit a draft airport lease with the state. The state owns Sitka's airport while the city owns the terminal building. The 55-year lease agreement is up for renewal this spring, so the state and city have been negotiating new terms this fall. It's tricky timing since the city is preparing to kick off a federally funded multi-million dollar airport expansion project this fall. Some of the state's lease terms were controversial, like charging airport vendors additional concession fees, which is required by the Federal Aviation Administration. Until recently, it wasn't clear who would get to keep the additional revenue. Municipal Administrator John Leach said he'd finally confirmed that the concessions could be collected by the city and be reinvested in the terminal. Uh, the state did check with the FAA. We got the we got the thumbs up from the FAA on that. However, we will still need to follow the same reporting and audit requirements as if this if, if we were still remitting the funds to the state. So we didn't really reduce any of the administrative burden. Um, if anything, we probably brought a little more risk back on ourselves, but the the revenue comes with it now. The state initially proposed fees for Sitka's airport parking lot as a way to offset increased maintenance and operation costs, but they were left out of the draft lease. While Sitka's airport parking lot will remain free for now, Assemblymember J.J. Carlson said they'd have to revisit the parking lot issue in the future. Parking will become a thing, and not now, but eventually we're going to, probably, probably in my three years, need to get back to it. So I'll be having that conversation with you then. The Assembly reviewed the lease in November, but postponed a vote in order to give Sitkins extra time to look over the contract. Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis said he'd heard from Sitkins who are preparing themselves for changes that come with updating an airport. And I, I don't think anybody was necessarily uh, in favor of keeping the airport that we have now and, and keeping the status quo. I know people weren't necessarily in favor of a new fee structure, but I think there was the understanding of, of the modern airport com, comes with a modern fee structure. The Assembly unanimously voted to direct the city administrator to accept the lease. A final document will be brought back to the Assembly for approval at a future meeting. Trident Seafoods, one of the biggest seafood processors in the country, announced on Tuesday that it's selling a third of its Alaska plants. As KMXT's Brian Venua reports, it's a huge move for the company and amid a tumultuous seafood market. Four of Trident's processing plants in Alaska are now for sale in Kodiak, Ketchikan, Petersburg, and False Pass. The company also announced a significantly scaled-back winter season for their year-round plant in Kodiak. The historic Diamond NN Cannery in South Naknek and the company's support facilities in Chignik will either be retired or sold as well, according to the release. Multiple fishers contacted by KMXT said it was a huge surprise. Trident spokesperson Alexis Telford declined to comment, saying they're focused on their employees and fishing fleets at this time. The announcement comes on the heels of a reduced fall salmon fishing season across most of the state and just a month ahead of the opening of Kodiak's tanner crab season, which is expected to be the second largest harvest for that species in decades. 
There's a storm of issues in seafood markets right now. Processors have offered fishers some of the lowest prices for their harvest in years, sparking stand-downs and protests across the state. The Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute's conference in November pointed to declining demand for seafood, huge harvests, and foreign competition as some of the key problems. In a press release, Trident blamed similar reasons for its move to sell. The company's cost-cutting efforts also include laying off about a tenth of its corporate staff. In Kodiak, I'm Brian Venois. The Juneau Assembly has voted to get rid of land use regulations for landslide zones in the city's downtown neighborhoods. The unanimous vote on Monday night repeals hazard maps and land use restrictions that have been in place since the 1980s. As KTOO's Anna Candy reports, the city's new policy maintains restrictions for avalanche zones while rolling back restrictions in landslide zones. Juno Mayor Beth Weldon addressed the room before the vote, thanking the public for their continued participation in a years-long debate about how to address avalanche and landslide danger in the city. This is not a perfect document in any way, shape, or form. I know you're not thrilled with it. I can tell you right now that I'm not thrilled with it, but this is the best what we could probably come up with. Development restrictions for avalanche zones will remain about the same as the ones in the previous hazard ordinance from 1987. But there's one major change. Landslide regulations will be eliminated from Juneau City Land Use Code. Many who testified at the meeting, including Juneau condo owner Mary Ellen Duffy, praised that change. Not adopting the landslide maps and new landslide ordinance could avoid a huge economic impact to many of your fellow Junoites. Until now, restrictions were similar for both avalanche zones and landslide zones. That's because the land use code was based on low-resolution hazard maps developed in the 70s, which lumped the two hazards together. But in 2020, the city commissioned new maps, made with more precise science. The avalanche zones didn't change much, but the landslide zones did. The new maps placed some neighborhoods in landslide zones for the first time, or upgraded their hazard designations to severe. That drew backlash from homeowners concerned about their ability to get mortgages or insurance policies in those neighborhoods. So the assembly adopted the new avalanche maps, but not the landslide ones. Even though the landslide maps won't be used for regulation, the Assembly favored keeping them available on the city website, and they discussed the possibility of a citywide notification system to keep property owners or would-be renters informed about their risk. Assemblymember Christine Wall said the maps represent the best available information about hazards. She said her first home in Juneau was in a landslide zone, but she didn't know it at the time. And shortly after I moved out of that house, five trees went through through the house, and luckily no one was hurt, but... I, as a person who lived up there, would have loved to have known that the city has information about um, how serious it is to live there. City Attorney Robert Palmer helped to draft the new ordinance. He said there's no guarantee that financial institutions will disregard landslide hazards just because the city chose not to adopt the maps. It's almost a chicken and the egg concept as to did the landslide hazard come first or did the maps come first? Even without the maps, the finance industry, the assessing industry, the lending industries could make their own determinations. So the unadopted maps will remain online, but with a disclaimer saying they should not be used to evaluate landslide risk on specific properties. And the assembly will continue the debate over how to notify people about avalanche hazards. Just before the vote, member Alicia Huskandis brought up the recent November landslide in Wrangell, which left five people dead and one person missing. I 
of course, like all of you, hope that that doesn't come to pass in Juneau, but as climate change continues and it does get warmer and wetter, that is a real danger. And so I just want us to be clear-eyed as we go into this. Juneau does have a history of deadly and destructive landslides, including a massive 1936 landslide on South Franklin Street that killed 15 people. And the assembly says it will continue to discuss what to do to address avalanche and landslide threats beyond maps and land use regulations. In Juneau, I'm Anna Canny. Road crews have added another 36-inch culvert to Wrangell's landslide area 11 miles south of town on the Zimovia Highway. That's to prepare for this week's inclement weather. High winds and heavy rain are forecast for much of southeast through this morning. Sam Datsevich with the State Department of Transportation says the culvert will add more capacity for runoff to make its way to the ocean. He says that debris flow basins were recently constructed and they filled up during Friday night and Saturday's rainstorm. During the last storm event um, on Saturday or Friday night and Saturday, those basins filled up with multiple truckloads worth of runoff debris from the hillside, like silt and, and mud. Dapsevich says the next step is to install a 72-inch culvert that DOT obtained from the U.S. Forest Service. Then crews will start pouring concrete, which will take a few days to cure per lane. Dapsevich says it will take about three weeks for the whole process to be completed, but that will depend on the weather. If we keep having these storms, you know, in succession, or if it gets really cold, that could change the timeline a bit. But that's what we're looking at right now. During the work, flaggers are expected to help direct traffic for those who have required, who have the required permits for driving through the area. Mason Valarma, who is Wrangell's interim borough manager, says the road will only be open to permit holders. We don't want any undue uh, stress and traffic out there, so just really keeping those lanes available for the folks that need it out there, uh, trying to prevent any of the Loki Lewin and and there's a lot of pictures and, and, and videos on, on, our, on our website for folks that are curious on what's going on out there. The Federal Emergency Management Agency and the State of Emergency Operations Center are in Wrangell this week for the preliminary damage assessment. Valarma says they will look at damages for those at- affected by the landslide. He says for the borough, he calculated nearly half a million dollars in expenses. The preliminary damage assessment will focus only on mile marker 11 and the nearby staging areas. They will consider three categories, including debris clearing and removal, emergency procedures, and utility replacement. Valarma also said that the city will potentially develop an online platform similar to the Sitka landslide risk website. This could help revitalize emergency operation plans and hazard mitigation but they are in the beginning stages and still need to set up a preliminary meeting first. And that's all for Raven News for this hour. You can listen to or read our stories again on our website at kcaw.org.